0: Welcome back to our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. Today we're going to be in chapter 2 and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. I've titled this section, The True King and His Scholars. And as we set out to read this text here in just a couple seconds, keep your eye out for who the real king is and who the real scholars are. Uh, Matthew is purposefully juxtaposing uh, the true king versus the false king and the true scholars versus the false scholars. We also have two prophecies, at least, but we can't say the same about them. They're not true prophecies and false prophecies, though the different prophecies will all come together in a significant way. So, let's begin reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the king was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler The young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Well, hopefully you are able to detect. at the very least, that there are two kings in this story. Matthew makes that very explicit. He talks about King Herod, and the wise men come wanting to know where uh, the king of the Jews is. And the contrast could not be more stark. A little bit about Herod might help us understand what's going on here. Uh, so called Herod the Great was a shrewd politician. He, at one point, had sided with Antony and Cleopatra, and then when it became clear that they were going to lose to Octavian, he quickly switched sides to Octavian and made it seem like he was always on Octavian's side. When Octavian then became in power, Octavian rewarded him by making him uh, the king of the Jews. He always had an awkward relationship with the Jewish people. Uh, He was not considered Jewish by the populace. He was an Idumean. And he was never quite accepted by the majority of the Jewish people. Of course, there's an exception to this. We read about the Herodians, who are Jewish people, a sect that's in favor of Herod's dynasty. Herod wants to please the Jewish people, and he seeks their favor with elaborate expansions of the temple and huge building projects. This is something that a great king would have done. In fact, in previous sessions, we've talked about Solomon, the great king, the son of David, and one of his great achievements was, well, of course, to build the temple. And Herod is, well, perhaps you would like to think of himself as following in Solomon's footsteps, rebuilding the temple. What greater project could there be? Uh, there wasn't a real separation between church and state back then, and so he's seen as a religious and political leader. However, you know, once you start building, Um, this project of a great expansion of the temple, you quickly realize that if it's going to be any good, the money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, And so what he does to come up with the money is greatly tax, guess who, the Jewish people. And you can only imagine how they might react to that sort of taxation. So in order to please the Jewish people, he heavily taxes the Jewish people. And he ends up kind of shooting himself in the foot in this way. His whole temple project is then carried on by others, and it's only finished just a few years, tragically, before it's destroyed in the year AD 70. Herod himself is always sensitive to the issue of himself being a real king and respected by the Jewish people. He's always paranoid about conspiracy. From history, we learned that he even kills his wife and then he kills another wife and three of his sons for suspecting them of conspiracy and trying to take over the throne. He's very concerned about himself being the true and only king. Uh, In fact, so great was his paranoia in this regard that Caesar Augustus uh, humorously said that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. And there's a play on the words here in the Greek. He'd rather be... Uh, Herod's pig, his hus, then his son, Huias, because he would take better care of a pig than he would his own uh, sons. Now, when you get this idea of who Herod is, really there couldn't be a, a, a greater foil to the other king, King Jesus. We've already been told from chapter 1 that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. And there we talked very briefly about how there were different ideas about who the Christ was and what role he would play, but kind of as a bare minimum, the Christ is a kingly ruling figure. He's somebody from the line of David who would sit on David's throne and rule over the house of Israel. Uh, for example, even in our text that we just read, the uh, the magi or the wise men come in and they want to know, where is he who has been born? The king of the Jews. And then Herod knows what that question means, and so he, he calls in the scribes and the chief priests, and he, at the end of verse 4, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So even here in the Gospel of Matthew, we can see how the two terms are used kind of interchangeably. We've seen a little bit about who King Herod is from history, and we know that from chapter 1 and just a little bit in chapter 2 that Jesus is another king, or we could even go farther and say the true king. Uh, The prophecy which leads the magi or the wise men uh, to come seeking this true king is that there has been a star that has arisen. Now, Matthew here does not point us directly to that prophecy, but this is very, very likely coming from Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24. Interestingly, that is another uh, non-Jewish or Gentile prophet And here we have Magi who are not Jewish people as well. Let's go back and read that prophecy in Numbers chapter 24. This is a fascinating prophecy for several reasons. It was widely understood as being messianic, that is, about the Messiah, and all sorts of other pieces of literature during the first century or during the period of time that's sometimes called the Second Temple Period. So this was a popular prophecy talking about the Messiah. As we read it, keep your eye out for this star that is going to come. In fact, before we even begin, let me mention that at one of the Jewish revolts, there is a, uh, a revolutionary figure named uh, Simon bar Kokhba. Uh, he gets the name Simon bar Kokhba, which means in Aramaic, uh, Simon, son of the star, evoking this very prophecy as a revolutionary messianic figure. So, all of that by way of introduction. Let's look at Numbers 24, starting in verse 15. Speaking of Balaam. So, he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. This is, like I said earlier, a well-known messianic prophecy during the first century and is probably lying behind Uh, the motivation of the Magi to come. It would have been known to Matthew and his readers, and so Matthew probably could have just gone without stating it because it was just in people's mindsets of that time. They see the stars. Somehow the whole thing is shrouded in mystery, and this compels the Magi or the wise men to come to Jerusalem where they would expect the king to be born. Let's now return back to Matthew chapter 2 and see how uh, this story unfolds. The prophecy from numbers has given us information about who Jesus is. He's a conquering hero who will destroy his enemies. but there's another prophecy here in Matthew chapter 2, which is explicitly brought to our attention. Here the chief priests and the scribes are quoting from the book of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This also will give us significant information about who Jesus is and what his real character is. Uh, that starts in verse, 6. Now, Micah chapter 5 is an interesting prophecy. Obviously, it was understood as messianic. It's easy for us to pick that up if we go back to the alluded to or the cited text. and uh, There's some interesting surrounding information there as well. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it reads like this. Now, gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel." And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. So here we have other information about the true king. Uh, We read from verse 1 that there will be some opposition, there will be some conflict, and he will eventually be struck on the cheek with a rod, and yet he will be victorious. Uh, He will bring about everlasting peace uh, for himself and also for the nation. This is everything that Herod would have wanted to be, but in fact fails to be. Again, the contrast could not be greater between uh, the true king and King Herod. But there's more information for us here lying below the surface to give us information about uh, the true king, King Jesus. The quote in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2 is actually a composite quote. When we read from Micah earlier, there was a lot of talk about shepherding, but there's nothing that quite corresponds to who will shepherd my people Israel. Instead, what has happened is that that little bit has been taken from 2 Samuel 5.2. And the context there is all about how the tribes of Israel recognized that even when King Saul formally was the king and sat on the throne, they knew that David was the real king and functioned as the king even during that time. And this allusion to 2 Samuel 5.2 is striking. It presents Jesus as like David. We've already seen so much about David the Lord Jesus being like David, and if you'll recall from our earlier sessions with uh, the repetition of 14 being Gematria for uh, David's name and also about him being the son of David, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. But we have something of that same context going on. There is one person who's formally installed as king, and yet uh, there's somebody else functioning as the true king, even though he's not always acknowledged as such or gets to sit on the throne and have all the regalia of Power and glory. That's worth for us to think about a little bit there. The true king is not always the person that we see on TV or that has the formal office or the one that is pictured uh, on our dollar bills. Even today, we live in a time when the Lord Jesus is the true king, but a lot of people don't recognize him as the king. May we have the insight that Matthew has to realize that the true king isn't the one the world always acknowledges, and may we be like the magi and worship the one who is truly on the throne. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.